0: Now today's case um, is a case that I really wanted to do. It's a case that's going to bring together some of your questions and um, and and some answer them. Really, is when we talk about perpetrators that have been released out early on parole. The case today is Helen McCall case. It's a nineteen eighty eight case. It's Merseyside, U- United Kingdom, UK case. This case is really now as important as it was even then and it holds so much importance for other cases and up and coming cases in the future. This is a really important case, legal history case really and it's really down to one woman, Helen McCourt's mother, Marie. This woman fought for the law to be changed and this case then comes from or comes about into Helen's law. And it's that's what's really going to take coverage of this case and also brings other cases into it. Now, I warn you now, it's not a straightforward case. All we've won, made the law change, the law doesn't work like that. And I'll explain that to you as we go further down this case. So let's start with Helen. <coughs> This 22-year-old, you know, lived in a small village just on the, you know, outskirts of um, in Merseyside. Just a little, little village. She was um, used to get the bus to and from work. She did drive, but it was easier actually to get the bus in to work and she used to get the bus home. She had done that regularly for a very, very long time. She was uh, um, an insurance clerk, and she um, had a great family. A great mother and a great family and she just met a new boyfriend and she was happy she was living her life but a few days before the 9th of February 1998 the day she disappeared as I said she lives close to this local pub so it's a quite a little village with a little local pub in it and there was a landlord in this pub and his name is Ian Sims and he was 31 at that time So she used to go to a local pub, finish work, go to a local pub, have a drink. And then this Ian Sims started working there. And he sort of would um, say sort of things, you know, sexual things. He's a bit of a narcissist. Well, he is a narcissist, this man, and it shows actually more in this case. So he would make sexual advances towards Helen. She didn't like it. And she wasn't a stupid girl. She was quite a strong girl quite opinionated and she weren't having none of it and she told him as well you know stop I'm not interested. He didn't like this because narcissists don't like to be told no and they they, because they think well look at me and you know you see this picture of this man you know no way was a a good looking 22 year old girl going to be attracted to this man but then what she did say to him was in the middle of all these advances and where he was sort of being a bit nasty to her because she was holding back these advances. She said, but you're seeing a 22-year-old or a 21-year-old waitress, you know, and you're married and you have two children. And I think it was that statement that made Ian Sims think that she was going to tell on him. So he really, over the next few days after this really incident that they had um he was really talking about her in a derogatory manner very nasty manner um to other publicans and you know people that she knew and he also barred her from this pub so she wasn't allowed in this pub and to tell the truth i think at that time she didn't care because this man was such an obnoxious man she was glad to get rid of him to tell you the truth so helen continued to go on about her day in her life Going to work, you know, getting up in the morning, getting ready. Just met this new lad. um, Really happy. Family happy. She goes to work on the 9th of February, 1988. Um, And we know she was at work, and we know she rang her mum at 4 p.m. to say, "Listen, mum, you know I'm on my way home. I need to. I'm going to have to get ready quick because I'm going out on a date. So if you can put my dinner on, so I can wash my hair, you know I'm. I'll be really grateful." And I think the mum and her had such a great relationship the mum was really happy for her that she'd found someone and she was really happy about it. So she was expecting Helen home at half past five to have this dinner ready so she could, you know, wash the hair, get ready to go out um, and Helen never showed up. And it turns out that Helen got off her bus about four to five hundred yards away from her home. So you had the bus stop here and Helen home here in the middle of that was the pub where Ian Sims was there waiting for her on that day as she walked past that pub he dragged her in we don't know what's happened because we never really they've never found the body and he's never actually even admitted this crime let alone anything else she was. Um, we know she was dragged in, we, by only by forensic evidence we know that, she was attacked on the stairs and she was dragged upstairs, attacked in the room, then dragged back down the stairs as a dead body weight, because we know that because some of the people, the witnesses have said they heard a bit screaming, didn't know where it was coming from, but one of the pub um, people, the bartenders in the pub, remembered hearing a noise of something being brought down the stairs, like a heavy weight like a suitcase would be if it was full or something so you know um but again he was busy and in them days the pups were busy and um and in february you know we are talking about february in england it's dark at four it's so not much is you can see not much going on um unless it's really lit which it wouldn't have been in nineteen in 1988 and again no CCTV in 1988 So of course this man then puts her in his car and he drives off somewhere and he dumps his body and this girl has never been seen since that day not a sign of her a few days later after the murder um after the the mother and the boyfriend everyone else had um searched this girl and reported this girl missing with literally just disappeared so they knew she got off the bus so it's very you know to be taken from getting off a bus and four to five hundred yards from your home you know someone local has done that murder really and so I think right at first the fingers were pointing at Ian Sims as the perpetrator here so he was arrested under the suspicion of murder the next day or the day after that there was um, a bag, a black bag, um, like a bin liner bag full of clothes and bloody towels and stuff thrown in to a local river there. Again um, because um, he threw it in the water but it was in a sealed bag there was still, still evidence that could be gained from that evidence. Uh, again a couple of days later after that there was some also another bag found of men's clothing and also blood on towels and things like that uh, and again that DNA and matched to um, Ian Sims and it was his clothes. Now he did dispute this evidence against him because in them days in 1988 DNA wasn't what it was today we all admit it we all know that but there was so much evidence here that um, they knew within the few thousand people that he had done it Plus because the radius from where she went missing in her home and also this argument and this hatred that he had towards her all pointed to him really. So the evidence on this man was overwhelming. And as usual with perpetrators what they love to say is that I didn't do it. And his explanation for why his DNA was there and why Helen's DNA and including a pair of trousers, the fibres from a pair of trousers, of Helen's navy blue trousers which were found in this bag. The fibres were also found in in Simms' accommodation within this pub. The problem is, is how he couldn't get out of it, is Helen had only brought them the day before. She had already been barred from this pub before she brought the trousers. And that's the only day she wore them trousers was on that day to go to work. And then fibres from that trousers were found in Ian Simms' accommodation. So he really did this crime, even though to this day this man has never admitted it. And if that DNA evidence was now put in now, I think I have done some DNA um, extra testing, it's about nine million to one. So his excuse, you must hear it, it is absolutely ridiculous. So what Ian Sims said about why his DNA and blood and everything else of her blood and her DNA and his blood and his DNA was you know, brought into this case is because that somebody, not him, came into that pub. They waited for Helen, dragged her into that pub, murdered her in that pub, then dragged her back out of that pub into Ian Sims's car because there was DNA evidence of blood and stuff found in his car and in his boot of his car that belonged to Helen. But again, he didn't do it. It was this person that's come in and done all this stuff. So now they've put the body in the car, they've then dumped the body, then they brought the car back to this pub, hung the keys back up and dumped the clothes. But it had nothing to do with Ian Sims. So I think you, you know the conclusion of the jury when they come back with their verdict. And it was guilty of murder because they knew she had been murdered by the amount of blood and evidence that it was found this case though because it was 1988 DNA as I said wasn't you know as good as it is today so this was the first case in DNA and the first case where where someone had been charged and convicted of murder without a body this was so it's from day the day one this case has been really in the news and and in historic meaning in our law for many many different reasons so now we have this man He's been sent to prison. He had life in prison, which is about 25 years in uh, this country. And uh, he had a minimum sentence, again a tariff put on him of 16 years. He had gone for a parole a few times throughout the years, but he hasn't got it. One, because he's never admitted his guilt, and two, because he won't say where the body is. But he is back up for parole, or he was back up for parole in 2019. We'll go on to that in a minute. So in the meantime, in 2015, because of his absolute, (sighs) he's an absolute disgrace really, this man, he taunted her family, Helen's family, he taunted them. He painted pictures, provocative pictures, he wrote letters, never given a minute's rest really. By 2015, Helen's mother had had enough. She wanted, one, to get justice and stop this man coming out on parole, and two, she wanted her daughter back. She knew she was dead, but she wanted her daughter back to bury her daughter, and he just wouldn't say. So she continued to pressure and campaign for the law to be changed, and it was called Helen's Law. She was fighting for it, so nobody, no parole. And I think it reads actually it wasn't just about um, perpetrators that murder and hide bodies you know and we've spoke about why they do this and there's many reasons why they do it and usually a lot of the time also is because evidence the body holds a lot of evidence and the longer its remains are out there it's you know much more difficult or they fought in them days to get DNA um, from old remains it's not so difficult now. So um I think let me just um explain to you about what Helen's law is so in May 2019 so in 2015 this woman fought to get Helen's law into law to be enacted that means that you could rely on that um statute um I mean from 2015 up to 2019 to tell the truth we've had different members of parliament we've had you know, different Prime Ministers, we've had a couple of general elections, we've had lots and lots of stuff, we've had Brexit, and so all this stuff has stopped a lot of other important you know, stuff coming through, and this was one of them important laws that needed to be changed that was stopped really because of all this, what's been going on in the years leading up to it, but in 2019 it really it was announced that there was plans to change the law and it was going to go through, it is going now to its second reading. And so then it would soon be a get royal assent and then it would then be enacted into law. And this was great. And the law, it says, it was was to place greater consideration. Now, remember, law is all about words. It's all about the wording. So to place greater consideration on the failure to disclose the location of remains. So these are about people that we know are dead. They, They suspect without a reasonable doubt that they are dead you know so these are we talking about remains here we're not now trying to find a person we're talking about the remains so Helen's law it's about it requires the person convicted uh, to reveal the location of their victim's remains before being considered for parole before being considered that's what it should be so um, on the 20th or on the 14th of November 2020 this law Helen's law came in and was, did have legal um, royal assent and came into law, then it was enacted. That means it's there, that means you can rely on it. But again I said to you about the law didn't I? It's about this reliance on it. So when you're studying law, the first thing you have to really learn, um, I think first or second year, is about statutory interpretation because statutes and laws are massive they're massive they're um, very very um, written in legal terminology and so the interpretation of that has to be put out also statutes can't be static they can't be straightforward black and white they have to have variables and movements in them to make them work or else we would never be able to do anything so the wording in statutes are very very important now in this law, Helen's law, it states that again the parole board must consider that these perpetrators have not um, given up the body. So should they then be eligible for parole? But what this does is that the parole board have their own set of requirements and whether they are then conflicting. It's hard to say, so Helen's Law, it places a statutory obligation onto the Parole Board to consider an offender, non-disclosure, non-disclosure, so not saying where the body is, they chose to hold it back. Um, and certain information that's even dealing with um, indecent images and photographs of children, and the reason why it it, it takes in child sex offences into it and um, because we had a case I think of Vanessa George now Vanessa George case is a case that I'm going to do very shortly and you'll see why but Vanessa George was um, a nursery worker a daycare centre worker uh, working with very vulnerable children she was also a member of a paedophile gang and I think it's known that she or she was sentenced um, for quite a long time. Uh, I think she got her sentence in 1992 and again she came up for appeal in 2019 so remember that uh, in a minute as well. But I think her offences were 64 children that she was um, indicted on, on offences of child sexual abuse and uh, distributing images of children but also distributing them within this group Also, she wouldn't tell how many other children they were uh, abused, and she also wouldn't reveal the other members of the paedophile uh, group. So there was this law, this Helen's law, will also um, can be relied on when it comes to allowing these sort of people parole. So it's not only murderers and people that are you know not disclosing where the bodies are. It's about not disclosing who else your crime has affected. Or who else, who was an accomplice within your crime, uh, you won't get out on parole. Parole, or so it seems. So we know this was now coming up in two thousand and nineteen because it's been stated by the government. It's going through. It was on its it's done its first reading. It was on its second reading. It was now coming through, and try and guess what they did. They released Ian Sims from prison on parole. Just before this, they also released. In two thousand nineteen, at the same time, Vanessa George, again before this law came in, they could have held off, but they didn't. They just didn't. They released him. Temporary release, yes, but after this law then was enacted, you know, have the royal descent, it's enacted, it's now law. They could have recalled them, they didn't. Now Helen's mother, before this parole in two thousand nineteen. Fault to keep this man in, not to get this parole, and in court fees it cost her forty thousand pounds. He's now out. He was released, as was Vanessa George, released in two thousand nineteen. Now, if Helen's mother has stated that she wanted to appeal um, the parole board's decision and have him recalled, if she does that, it will cost her a minimum. Of seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and to tell you the truth, whether this law's in place or not, she can't rely on that law. We can't really rely on that law, to tell you the truth, that they're going to do the right thing, because the law says they only have to consider it. They only have to consider the fact that they haven't told or disclosed where these bodies are. Not that they have to. It doesn't say if you don't disclose you ain't getting out it doesn't say that so Helen McCourt's mother could lose and possibly would lose to tell the truth because this man served his time he hadn't got parole a few times he's out on limited license so you know uh, limited license and could be recalled at any point if he'd done anything else wrong so for Helen McCourt's mother this is a shocking outcome. Great in one way, because she's achieved what she's achieved through sheer hard work, the persistence of this woman. To, listen, the law in this country is not easy, and it is certainly not easy to have a laws changed or to introduce new laws. It's really not. It's it's amazing what this woman's done. And it she may not gain the benefit from this. But I'm hoping that others will. And one of them cases that I'm hoping will, and I've been watching for this, is the case of Daniel Jones. Now Daniel Jones' uncle, Stuart Campbell, is due to be released. Now this law is now in place, but again it's about the reliance on whether the parole board will use this to the full extent of their law and hold this man in and say no you're not eligible for parole because you will not disclose where this child's body is but I don't know if they're going to do that because really when you read the small print when you read the statute they only have to consider that law they don't have to act upon it because they have their own laws and if he's done everything he should have done just to rely on this law could open up lots of challenges I think I think this is going to be quite a controversial law, I think people, the public, are going to want to see this law in place, they're going to want to see it being pushed and used, but I think with the parole board, I don't know if they're going to just take it on board, they should do, but whether they will, because they actually don't have to, they just have to consider it as an option, just consider. Now again, Stuart Campbell is a little bit like Ian Sims. Always said I didn't do it. You know, didn't do it. Wasn't me. All the evidence against me is, you know, false. Oh God, I hope he, I hope I. Hope this I hope, really do. I hope that this law, with this, um, uh, Stuart Campbell, really works, because you know I'm going to be devastated if it doesn't to tell the truth. You know, you know, when you do the law. You know, and I have a lot of comments about the police and how they, you know, search and they investigate and they do everything they can. And then they go to court and these people either get off or they get very minimal sentencing. Well, I mean, this will be, won't it? If this law's not, you know, really taken up and really put out. Because when you read this law, and I'm going to say it's from a legal point of view, when you read the statute, it does not state that. So when I look at it, I think, is it a gesture to the families of these missing girls? You know, the government's given you something—hope. But it's a gesture. It's—it doesn't. It's not to, It's not real unless someone like the parole Board use it, and that's what I'm really hoping they do, because without this law really being pushed. And used the way it should be used. These girls will never ever be found and there's going to be there's so many more than the ones that I mentioned and there's so many more than the cases that I've even done the ones I'm going to do. There is so many I can't tell you how many people still haven't got their children back. So many. So if this law is used properly we might just have a chance but I'm not holding my breath and that's a shocking thing for me to say I know, but I know the law, and I know the parole board. And I think what the government done by writing the statute the way it is, this law, is to pass the buck. Because if, say, Stuart Campbell, comes out, in November twenty one, who are we going to blame? Not going to blame the government. They're going to say I've done our bit. We've done, you know, we've we've agreed with the law, and they did agree with it, and they've released it out. The buck then will come back. To the um, parole board, and so will public opinion come back to them. So, if nothing else, they need to use this law to make sure that we have got some respect for these people. In these, you know, where they should really examine each case. And I actually do agree. If there is no body, if you will not disclose where you've put their bodies, or if you will not disclose who else you have abused or hurt and you will not you know, say who your accomplices were then you should stay in prison until you do. So I actually am really really going to look out for this case, uh, these next cases coming up and also this law how it's used by this parole board and I will keep you updated. So I know this case is a little bit different from normal but it really will bring in to All the other cases we're doing, and hopefully answer some of your questions about this new law and the parole, and where you may now see people being refused. That's why. And it comes down to Helen's law, but it really comes down to Helen's mother. She needs great praise for this, really. I am, you know, I can't believe that someone has sacrificed, and she has sacrificed a lot. To do what she's done you know to help she knew it may not help her when she started this but she's done it to help others and i think we should all be grateful for that so i think i've i really hope that you've um found this case really interesting